once you are able to run a mile, the next step is not to run a mile faster. The next step is to run two miles. If you can run a mile easy, then it's two miles easy, then it's three miles easy. It's very long time before it becomes one mile hard. Welcome to the Run Form Podcast. I'm Bobby McGee, running mechanics expert. And I'm Matt Condola, your run-specific strength coach. Matt and I have been working together for almost a decade on some of the top athletes in the world, and we've decided to share that process with you guys. Hey now, welcome back everyone to the Run Form Podcast with your host with the mostest, Bobby McGee. And of course, as always, myself, I'm Matt Pendola. Bobby, how the heck are you doing today? I'm good. It's been a while, Matt. I'm I'm kind of excited about this. We 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 taking a little uh, fresh direction. We've had some great interviews, and Chicago was a was a part of the conversation, and some great performances there. And I know there's still some races this season left coming up, uh, but uh, now with uh, people getting going into the end of the year, I'm pretty excited about our our new series. Let's talk about what we're gonna do. Yeah, people are pushing the reset button, or at least uh, some of us. I know I am personally. I, as a coach, I will tell you that. Um, uh, boy, it's it's been tough to keep up with my own running at times. Uh, I do get in, I'd say, 20 to 30 minutes and pretty consistently, but I do feel like it's time to really build my base again. And I know a lot of other people are there too, looking at uh, even starting to to get into running. And so we talked to our producer, actually, Evan. He had a great suggestion thinking about how a lot of people do want to learn about how they can start their running program or even restart their running programs. Or for those those of us like myself who need to kind of reset that button, that's what this series is going to be about. Where do we start? How do we progress? And uh, those elements, I think, are oftentimes where we haven't been focused on as much in the past because we are talking more about running specifics. So I think this is a great topic. I'm excited to talk about it. Lots of cool stories that we can uh, share today. Yeah, one of my first university lecturers, uh, be a hard name for everybody to understand, but his name was Bucky Blow. And uh, he, I remember him telling me uh, in my final year of studying human movement studies that he wished he didn't grow up uh, where rugby was absolutely everything. Like he wished he had learned how to play golf and he wished he had learned how to play tennis and so on. And, you know, that whole idea of, of uh, lifetime sports, you know, you 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 gr- grow up in the good old US of A and, you know, the big sports are baseball, you know, basketball and football. And uh, all three of those sports require a certain type of, of muscle fiber type and so on. But so often I see with people who want to get into running, coming from that kind of explosive background, their mindset around running is just not focused and attuned on, on what is so important. So I think a conversation like you and I want to have about how do you start off with a sport where the primary cause of injuries is not ballistic like in those other sports, the primary cause is overuse. And how do you avoid those pitfalls? I was just reading a study this morning, um, you know, about the numbers, you know, vacillate between um, 50% of all runners will get injured in any given uh, season. uh, And that number goes up as high as 80%. And that number hasn't changed much over the years, right? And uh, so I think we can definitely, especially from a run form perspective, provide people with the insight onto how gradual this process needs to be. And so, so I'm looking forward to, to, you know, going back to my roots too, you know, as a, as a student of, of, uh, of running and, and how, how's the best way to start it. If I had had to do it all over again with a huge group of beginners, I would do it incredibly differently based on what I know now. So that's, that's what you and I are going to share in the, in the following weeks. Yeah. And I think we can, kind of start this off with a topic that at least I know I've had this conversation with several times with people getting into a running program or re-entering their running program and saying just simply why, right? What, what is your why? 
what are you looking to accomplish? Everybody has a purpose, right? And you want to be able to fulfill your desires, your needs to be able to accomplish goals. And if that's really answering that purpose, I think that's fantastic. But I'm going to pick on my wife for a second and uh, I'll use her because we were talking a while back about her getting into a half marathon. And I said, okay, well, why? Why do you want to do this? And she said, well, because my friend's doing it and she wants me to do it with her. I said, okay. Uh, so that's your friend's has a why for that. But what is your why? And that's that uh, to me is not going to be a big enough why, especially considering the fact that at that uh, time in her life, she had not been doing any real running and really has never focused on running. She was a professional dancer. So there's uh, a few different aspects of that why I think we need to be able to cover with ourselves and just making sure that we do have a good why for what we are trying to do as a runner. I love that. And and so one of the very first things that came up for me when we were preparing for this, this series was exactly that, is this concept of why are you doing this? And my thing is, is never do anything in order to, unless it's, you know, life essential. So in other words, don't run to lose weight. Don't run to avoid cardiovascular issues. Don't uh, run so that you can eat more, you know. Run and realize that all activities at that level, uh, especially when you're beginning, should be done for the value of the thing itself. And so a story that I often tell is the story of the first time you go out the door for a run, if you're reasonably sensible, you feel great. It's, it's not a bad experience, right? Uh, it's at least for the first five or so minutes, right? The second time you go out for a run, it's bloody awful and you wondered what you were doing. You know, and the third time you go out for a run, you go, oh, running's clearly not for me. This is way too hard, way too painful, way too difficult, right? And this could go on for six weeks. And who's got the patience to go out the door for six weeks until you have that first magical run and you go, oh my goodness, this is why I signed up. If I could feel like this every time, that would be fantastic. So again, looking at research this morning, of swimming and, and biking and running, the one that produces the most endorphins of all is running, all right? It, it definitely makes people happiest and most satisfied and most gratified, right? But it takes a while to get there, and that's why it doesn't catch on as quickly as, say, jump in a cage, pump in a bunch of quarters, grab a baseball bat. Eventually, you're going to tag one ball, right? And that'll bring you back next time. The trouble is with running is, is you don't tag balls for a while, right? <laughs> so you think, okay, this is not for me. So that that that's kind of a great place to start is, is you know, you, you've got to be patient with the sport and you've got to start at a way lower level than you think. Yeah, I love what you said there because I kind of summarize that as don't run to get fit, right? Get fit to run. And if you're not in that mindset, you don't have the performance mindset to be successful with, with something like that, in my opinion. And so to be clear, we had this discussion about who we're really talking to with our audience. And we've said it before, I think it's worth saying again, is the performance mindset is what I really have purpose for as a coach, to work with athletes with a performance mindset. So if you're willing to do the work and take the steps, then absolutely, I believe that what we're sharing was is really going to help you, right? But if it's there for a different reason, that's really not, um, I think, based off of your real why, and it's not a base that you can stick with, it's like a diet, right? Diets don't work if you can't see yourself doing it in 10 years, right? We want you to start a program that you can see yourself continuing to do in 10 years. You know, maybe you choose not to for whatever reasons, but you could, right? So uh, in the case of my wife, she had really good planner flexion, 
right? And it's kind of similar in the sense of say somebody who's been swimming all their life, right? But that that uh, that dorsal flexion where that foot is able to pull up towards your shin, right? That is what we really had to work on in the beginning for her. So in other words, what is her history? And there, in this case, I'm looking at her history and saying, well, instead of training for a half marathon first and trying to hit the miles necessary for a half marathon, if you really want to do this, why don't we look at a 5K? And then the conversation eventually went to, well, she is very fit. She has a performance mindset. It turned into doing a 5K in a Spartan obstacle course race so she could really have fun with it and actually do uh, a bit of fractionalized running within the competition itself, right? She's good at pulling herself up over a wall. She's good at being able to run between stations fairly quickly, right? So that turned into a better why for her, just as an example. Oh, no, absolutely, Matt. Matt the, the things that you've said are, are just completely gold, right? So people that are starting off with running, they think that, okay, your first goal is to be able to run the whole way, whatever that whole way is, right? So like, I want to run a mile, right? And one of the notes that I made was, is once you are able to run a mile, the next step is not to run a mile faster. The next step is to run two miles, you know? And so, uh, if you can run a mile easy, then it's two miles easy. Then it's three miles easy. It, it's very long time before it becomes one mile hard, right? Uh, and and people people need to understand that. And and if somebody is a complete beginner in running, and they are an adult, and they have a reasonably sedentary lifestyle, if you want to start a running program, you're probably not going to run for three to four weeks. You're probably going to walk. You know, and and that's the reality for the vast majority of people, right? And so it's a difficult uh, topic to cover, right? But I use the uh, an overlaying template with all my runners, from from beginners to Olympians, right? And the template's called MEM, and and it stands for Mind, Engine, Mechanics, and in a sport like running, uh mechanics trump engine to start with because the thing that's going to break when you go out for that first walk or that first run if you overdo it right is not going to be the engine your heart and your lungs and your ability to breathe is not going to be your limiter your limiter is your legs your hips your groin your knees your ankles your arches your your toes though that's going to be your limiter right and so why I'm such a big uh, proponent of walking is you go out and walk for 20 minutes purposefully, not fast, but purposefully. So in other words, you're, you're going out there to walk, right? It's not like you're shopping or it's not like you're playing golf or something. You're going out there to walk. If you get back and in the next 48 hours, there's a little bit of discomfort and a little bit of soreness and so on, that is... Uh, a sign that you made a really good decision to go and walk as opposed to going running. And the big thing with endurance exercise is duration. That's your first goal, not speed, duration. And duration for a beginner is made through frequency. So you're much better off going out for three 15-minute walks in the week versus doing on Sunday, going out for a 45-minute walk. That's going to take you much longer to get to the process of being a regular runner. And so if you think about this, um, you're better off accumulating multiple uh, walks. And and when you do start running, that running has got to be fractionalized, right? Because it's the continuity of the loading of the of the structure, right? And and when it comes to running, the structure needs to divide it into bones are your weakest link. Your weakest link by far when you start a running program. Your next weak link is your tendons and your ligaments, all right? Your muscles can recover and handle a lot. And they will also complain way before tendons and ligaments complain and way before bones complain. When bones complain, we are in deep trouble already, right? 
So, you know, this sounds like a like a a dire warning, skull and crossbones all in red, right? But it, but it's not that. It's just that if people start off with some consistency and with very low duration, with a little bit of frequency, they will get to a place where you're going, okay, I understand why running in and of itself or walking in and of itself initially is satisfying. It's really satisfying. So you're proud of yourself not only for getting out the door, but for getting out the door consistently and for doing a level of work, which your brain, there's a, there's a device in your brain called your reticular articulating system. It will only let you do something again if it saw some enjoyment in doing it the first time. So don't go out and smash yourself because then when you comes, when the next time comes to do it, you're going, ah, crap, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's way too hard. So uh, maybe I need to find something else. So make sure that when you start this journey, you focus on making it sufficiently controlled that it's enjoyable and satisfying. Yeah, I mean, you say skull and crossbone warning. And no, we don't want to put fear into somebody's mindset about their running program. Certainly not. But we do speak from experience how many athletes we've talked to and worked with over the years that got turned off of their running or lost their love of running because there were too many niggles that turned into injuries or even looking at long-term chronic wear and tear that sometimes it's hard to even come back from, right? So we're talking about, again, having this sort of why now, this trajectory that can bring you towards that why in the case of my wife, she actually ended up doing a half marathon. But again, she was doing this over time. And in the beginning, she was running, say, all on her forefoot because as a professional dancer, she basically ran like a sprinter, even over long distances. Now, that can be uh, really, really stressful on the body and especially in her case on her uh, Achilles and calf complex, right? So, what we started to really look at is working on those mechanics over time. I mean, shameless plug, that is what run form is all about. It's about getting you to graduate in these mechanical uh, trajectories over time and that learning process both mentally and physically so we can really start to uh, have that ability to do more, to add more. And um, as I talk about this too, I wanted to at least cover the conversation about uh, even in the beginning, how important it can be to get the right gear. And I know that's something that uh, um, I'm always asking people if they have the right tool for the job. And, you know, running is no different. In fact, a uh, quick little example or story here is when I was a kid, I ran my first cross-country season in my school shoes. Now, granted, we, we didn't have a lot of money, and so that was part of it. But, you know, back then, my, my daddy said, uh, when you win your first cross-country race, we'll talk about getting those shoes, right? And uh, so I won my first cross-country race in school shoes, okay? Tennis shoes, I think they were, or even, I think they might have been more like basketball shoes, to be honest. But is that the smartest way to go? No, right? Is that the example to follow? No. And of course, th times have changed. We know a lot more. And so I'd like to just uh, cover that subject a little bit more too, um, from running shoes all the way to just having a good pair of running shorts and what a difference that can make just getting you out the door and keeping you going out the door excited to do it. Yeah, very, very, very critical there, Matt. I'd like to at some point come back to, you know, what you were saying as well about targets and stuff, but I think equipment is a really good thing to talk about. So, you know, there's there's two schools of, uh, not two schools of thought. There's two sides to this, to this conversation. Is, is One is... When you're starting off this process, right, uh, let's say you're doing walking, there's a slight difference between what your needs as an individual would be for shoes that you walk in versus shoes that you run in, right? So be prepared to have a pair of shoes that, that are more effective for walking and then at a later stage needing a pair of shoes that are more effective for running, all right? The big thing that you, big mistake that gets made 
is that people choose shoes for aesthetics. I mean, I've even got some some of my higher end age group athletes that I recommend a shoe based on their mechanics and so on, and they go, "Oh, I wish it was available in another color. I just can't abide that color, right?" But the last thing you want to do is go and buy your first pair of shoes based on the aesthetics, right? So there's two reasons why you would uh, buy a pair of running shoes, right? So the one is to protect you and the other one is to perform. So the first thing that you want to do is get a pair of shoes that suit you, right? Now, remember, if you're walking around at home in your socks, your mechanics are different to your mechanics when you're walking around outside or, or when you go to the office, right? Because you've got a little bit of a heel under the shoe, that kind of thing. So bear that in mind. So if you go into a store the first time around and you wear shoes to work that have anywhere about, uh, around about an 11 millimeter lift, right? So you got to look at it. Um, it's just kind of, kind of going to see a visual thing. In other words, your forefoot or your toes are lower than what your heel is relative to the ground, all right? So you don't want to suddenly go to a shoe that has no drop at all. So in other words, there's it's the same as wearing a shoe as if you were barefoot. If you don't spend a lot of time barefoot and you spend the vast majority of your time with your heel a little higher than your forefoot, then your first pair of shoes have got to be quite similar to that. The second thing is to look at cushioning, right? Cushioning is good. The older you are, the less capable you are of putting yourself down softly. Research has shown that, right? So you need probably a bit more cushioning as you get older, all right? But the cushioning comes at a cost, right? Cushioning is wobbly. Cushioning it, cushioning is unstable. So you've got to find a shoe that holds your foot underneath your, your legs about as effectively as what you would do if you were barefoot. And if you're barefoot and you pronate overpronate terribly and so on. In other words, your feet turn to the insides, you know, then the firmness of the shoe will sometimes help you stay a little bit more upright. Obviously, with run form and that kind of thing, we're going to help you strengthen your arches, strengthen your ankles and that kind of thing. All right. The other thing to look at is you need room in the front. You don't want the heel to slip off. So you don't want a shoe that's too wide for your heel. Your heel needs to stay connected to the back of the shoe but you need room in the front. If that material on the top of the shoe is pushing that big toe of yours into or over your second toe, not the right shoe for you. So running shoes come in tremendous variety of widths. Make sure that you get a shoe that allows your toes to operate, but not slip in such a way that if you go out the door that you don't get give yourself blisters and so on. Yeah, and right. I might suggest they're going to a local running store. We've had Matt Balzer on the podcast before. We'll have him on again, actually specifically talking about this subject in further detail for you guys. But this is one of those areas where I say, okay, yeah, you can order a pair of shoes online these days. And if you've already gone through the process and you know you're just getting another pair of those shoes, that that can be fine, obviously. But I think in the beginning, try to find a shoe store that's maybe going to go through more of the details with you, even get you on the treadmill, allow you to run in the shoes, see how they feel, you know, those kind of things, right? We're, we're not necessarily breaking in running shoes the way we do our, uh, you know, our boots, right? So we want to be able to, to get that uh, process going with somebody who maybe knows a little bit about the running gait and can at least give you some good advice on the right shoe for you. I would say always try and at least three pair and and see what the best uh, feel for you is there. Um, uh, any thoughts on that, Bobby? Oh, absolutely. A lot of shoes are now. A lot of shoe stores are now going to uh, not enough of them are going to this uh, meta analysis approach. So they'll they'll whittle down what what are the best shoes for you based on fit and how you walk in them and how you run on them on the treadmill. But then they'll show you which of those three shoes are best suited to you. But not many running shoes have that um, have that ability, right? Uh, you know, you can use a 
a mechanical device at some point as you're getting more skilled, like a stride device can definitely help you also. But, you know, Matt said, try to, I would go beyond that. Remember that as you get fitter, as you get stronger, as you get faster, your need for footwear will change. I would say always go to uh, a running store with a reputation for being able to fit shoes effectively. Because models change in shoes as well. And so uh, they they add or reduce material. They're sometimes harder. They're sometimes softer. They're sometimes narrower. They're sometimes shallower. So every time you need a new pair of shoes, you really want to go in and have the experts have a look at where your gait is at and and fit you for, for a, a, a pair of shoes. And, and, and as I said, you know, a shoe that works for you in the first six months of your running is highly likely to be replaced by a different kind of shoe after that. So, so make sure that you develop a relationship with your local running store and and uh, and and go that pathway. I, I really think that's the way to do it if if you if you're serious about your running. Yeah, my last thought on shoes is people often ask, well, should I get one or two pair? Now, if you're running every day, I like to have. Uh, a pair that you can alternate. If you're running more like every other day, then I think one pair can be fine. But, uh, you know, ultimately you're looking at that shoe being able to last and really be able to serve its purpose for you. We don't want that shoe getting too compact uh, too quickly and losing that purpose. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. And I'll, I'll add a little nuance to that, Matt. The, the new shoes... Uh, some of them, and they, they're quite considerably more expensive, right, have a different midsole material that has a much better um, ability to rebound. In other words, it retains its shape. It doesn't uh, purge air and then lose its shape like, you know, like, like uh, regular EVA, ethyl vinyl acetate. Um, so, you know, in time, you can move towards those shoes when, when your running gait starts to stabilize. Also, you know, if you're going to wear your running shoes or your walking shoes for other activities that have lateral movement, you're going to damage that shoe more quickly. So you want another pair of shoes to garden in. You want another pair of shoes to, to work in, especially if you, have, you do some sort of physical labor and you're moving sideways. You want another pair of shoes if you're going to do some strength and conditioning work. You don't want to wear your running shoes. They're not designed for that. They're designed for going forward, right? Um, and when there's sideways movement, that can damage the integrity of the shoe. The other thing is frequency, right? If you wear your shoes quite often, all right, you're sweating in those shoes. And that sweat destroys the material of the shoe over time. But if you allow that shoe to dry out, in other words, rotate your shoes, all right, then that shoe will last longer. And one other good idea to have a second pair of shoes is that it is slightly different. The major cause of injuries in running is overuse. So if you're running always on the same surface, always with the same camber, always with the same pair of shoes, your likelihood of getting injured is significantly higher than if you're changing your shoes, you're changing your surfaces, you're changing your terrain, and you're changing your intensity. That causes you to stimulate your feet differently with every step that you take. And then that's a, a good way to A, strengthen and B, avoid those overuse injuries. Yeah, fantastic. I think I uh, just wanted to cover with the other gear. Again, taking my wife as an example, she found running quite uncomfortable until she found the right running bras. And Actually, it was Matt Balzer's wife, Amy, that really focused on getting really good supportive running bras at Reno Running Company, their store. And I brought a few different uh, bras home for her to try out and see what worked for her. But again, that's something that we want to look at is uh, making sure that we are having the right support, not just with our feet, but with our body as, as well. And uh you know, on the, the guy's end of things, uh, I will speak on ballpark underwear like that, 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 that not necessarily even sold in a running uh, store, but 
I, I really like wearing that underwear in particular um, because it offers that uh, support that, that, that I need. So that's just an example about, uh, you know, myself versus my wife. Like what, what's next on my list for, for running, right? Yep. I think that you, you touched on some important things too there, Matt. I think something else to talk about is socks, right? So let, let's take, take those one at a time. Let's start with, with socks. Some people like a thinner sock. People with, with maybe wider feet, bigger feet, they just feel that they're better off with a thinner sock, right? But socks are also dependent on how much you sweat. You sweat tremendously in your feet. Some people like a bit of a wicking sock that can absorb some of that pers perspiration so that you don't slide around in your foot, right? Um, I liked, uh, you know, in, in my day, I liked a thinner sock to race with. And then obviously when I was doing triathlon, I didn't wear socks at all. So I needed a, a running shoe that had a very smooth interior, right? So that I wouldn't blister up. Um, you know, if you're going for longer, you, socks can add a little bit of cushioning, right? There's some socks that are quite well known for, for providing some cushioning. The height of the sock, if you do a lot of trail running and so on, sometimes you want a sock that comes up a little higher so you don't get grit and stuff going in the side of, a, of like an ankle sock, right? So you have the no-show socks all the way up to, you know, the quarter socks. So uh, those nowadays are highly technical. Uh, wool blends tend to be very good. There's, there's a couple of really high-level companies that make socks. Uh, it's definitely worth your while going to buy a specific sock to walk and run in versus buying a six-pack of socks from, from, from a big store. You know, that, that, those are not going to be as effective, right? So you have these blends of natural and synthetic fibers. Also, the way that the sock fits you. You don't want a sock that folds or a sock that slips, right? Um, I've got bigger feet, right? I'm at 12 and a half. And a lot of shoes that are marked from, uh, you know, 8 or 9 to 12 are actually too short for me. And they, they hurt my, my hurt my toes and my toenails. And I have to get an extra big, big uh, sock size. And people with smaller feet can sometimes get socks that are too big for them. And they also create problems. I don't know if you want to add something there on the socks before we move up the, the chain there, Matt. Yeah, I was just uh, thinking as you're talking, I am at the point now where I have different uh, levels of socks myself. And so my older socks, the ones I've had, and they're sort of on their way out, they're not quite holes in them yet, and I want to wear them until I can't wear them anymore. So those socks I will tend to wear just on my 20 to 30 minute uh, days or my easier days. But my higher quality days, I'm going to have specific socks for those days. So I actually have a different sock for my quality uh, interval sessions versus my uh, my long day. Right. So it's yeah. uh, it's quite particular, I think, to the athletes and over time, I think you start to really develop what works for you and even a system on what socks to wear on what days, right? So it's it's kind of a cool experience to be able to look forward to putting those socks on, as silly as it sounds, but if you're a runner, you know what I'm talking about, uh, who goes out and looks forward to that next run and it's like, oh, this is my long day sock. I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah. As soon as I put them on, it's like I'm putting on my armor. I'm getting my mindset into that long run. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I have Haglands, which is a, a bony growth on the back of your heel. And that's where my socks wear out first. And I find that even if the sock is still intact, the fluff between the, the knitted fibers gets worn away. And then that causes blisters. So the same sock that's a little worn in the heel can cause blisters. So I have in my sock drawer, I have socks for walking, uh, socks for coaching, socks for cold days, socks for biking. I have them all arranged in their different areas so that I always have a pair of socks for whatever activity I'm doing. Yeah, but we, we, we can get a little over the top with socks. As But as a runner and a walker, you'll see they make a huge difference. They make a huge difference. Absolutely. All right, so yeah, mo moving up to the shorts, right? Uh, in the old days, um, we used to exclusively wear shorts called New Zealand splits that really, really exposed the side of your leg, but they allowed you a lot of free movement. But nowadays, the movement with shorts is definitely, A, they got to be synthetic. They've got to wick away uh, perspiration and so on. 
B, they've got to be supportive, as Matt was saying. The male athletes need support. You can't just have no support at all. You know, there's risk of herniation and all sorts of stuff that can can happen there. Uh, very, very important for most people, especially when you're beginning, is something that doesn't let you chafe. And so you need a short that comes down at least a third of the way down your thigh, if not half your thigh, to, to just stop that chafing between your legs, male or female, all right? And so you'll see that the world's top runners have now pretty much all graduated towards that cycling-type short, right, as opposed to the, the loose-fitting shorts. And if you like the loose-fitting shorts and those are comfortable and free for you as well, um, sometimes now those shorts are available with kind of a, a cycling short liner where they help you not to chafe, right? So they have a built-in uh, supported uh, pair of underwear inside of those, right? And if you wear those cycling shorts and they they look a little immodest for you because they're tight, you know, some people just wear, uh, the, the gals can wear uh, uh, specific running skirts that have those underneath and then they have a running skirt on top. It's a one unit. Or the guys can just wear a pair of, of running shoe, uh, running shorts over the top of those, those running shorts as well. All right, yeah. so. I was going to say, I uh, am thinking about my trail running, which again, that's quite different uh, attire for me. I'll actually wear cool shorts, they're called, and they have plenty of pockets and uh, they cover my thighs. They're about mid-thigh length. And with all the pockets, it really makes it nice for me to uh, to get more of my, uh, my different gels or whatever nutrition I'm bringing with me. But also uh, I, I carry um, just some, some basics just in case for those longer trail runs. Uh, and so, you know, that in itself is different than when I'm going to go out and hit the roads and do some intervals. Uh, so, you know, just having that variety and again, looking forward to on the day, being able to put on that armor and, and uh, that's, that's kind of a cool part of the experience for me. So different shorts for different workouts. Yeah, you know, it's nothing worse than a pair of shorts that keep slipping down. You really want a shorts with a drawstring, right? Because as those shorts start to fill up with perspiration, right, they start to get heavier. They start to cling to your thighs. They start to pull down. You need that drawstring. Some of these shorts nowadays are fantastic. They've got a place to put your phone in that's really hugged close to your body so that you, you know, A, don't lose your phone and B, your phone doesn't beat you to bits, all right? Or you can get these little um, waistbands. Uh, there's a plethora of them available to put your car keys in, to put your phone in, because uh, uh, you, you really don't want to leave your phone and your car keys uh, in your car in in the trailhead, especially in certain places. You know, you could come back and and they won't, they're not there anymore, right? And uh, so so that's definitely something to look at. All right. So when it comes to uh, shirts. Um, you know, most people are, are comfortable with either a long sleeve or a short sleeve uh, tech shirt, all right? Uh, some people like them a little looser, some people a little tighter. But the idea that you need to run in a singlet uh, is is absolutely not necessary. Uh, some people feel cool and comfortable in those. But if you're pretty muscular up top, right, or, you know, you're carrying a bit of weight, those can really chafe under your armpits, and then they're also not very good at stopping the sun, right? So you really want to buy a shirt that's SPF 50 and, and keeps the sun off your shoulders and off your back, right? Speaking to somebody like me, just this morning I had surgery again for, for uh, skin issues due to sun exposure, right? So, uh, you know, getting, getting a shirt that's suitable for you is, is very important, and a, a good place to look at is the neck, right? There's nothing like a running shirt that's too tight and it just irritates you the whole run in front. Make sure that it fits well in your neck, fits well under your armpits, all right? And it's not cycling or it's not motorbiking, so you don't necessarily need it to be super aerodynamic, all right? And it's really a good idea if you have to get up and you live in climate where, where you're doing running uh, and the light is not good, is to have something with, with reflective material on it or a very bright color that shows up in the headlights of a car and so on. So, you know, it can be uh, safety apparel from, from that perspective as well. And there are a thousand options for you to choose from. 
just don't choose, you know, a, a, a cotton t-shirt or something like that to start with because it's just going to make your life unpleasant and it's going to make your, your bedroom and wherever you store your laundry very unpleasant, <laughs> all right, because those those cotton t-shirts don't do a good job of, uh, of fighting bacteria and so on. Yeah, and the only thing I'd add to that conversation, the torso, is the running vest that I that I use, right? An ultra vest. And I can put a little bit more of the hydration I need there. Um, again, I can add other things with nutrition into the vest. And I like the fact that it's um, able to still be loose enough where I have that breathability, but also I don't have to actually hold a water bottle in a hand. I, I feel like that is distracting at best and at worst i think that that can create some issues with the gait and potentially maybe even um some some issues with the body and the mechanics there yeah no no that's that's a really good point and then one more point when you do wear these hydration systems know that they they create heat right so you want a high high quality one that has venting and has channels where you can get air in all right. And the other thing is they have to be reasonably snug because if you've got a, a container with fluid in it and it's attached to your body, it can beat you up over time. So it needs to be at a place that it is uh, held close to your body and it doesn't bounce, but it's also easy for you to reach into. Right. So it's not hard to get behind you and get it out. Like th those kind of things are, are important to look at. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, the investment of the vest, I think, would be something you'd want to consider if you are starting to do longer runs and you know you're going to need that additional nutrition and hydration. Um, so again, depending on what your goals are and if I'm out there running for two to three hours in the mountains, I certainly want something like that, but it is go with the high quality. I think uh, the vest I got with the bottles and everything you're talking about potentially uh, $250 or more for something like that, but it's worth the investment if you're going to use it, especially long-term. Yeah. Any, any time that you're running, say longer than an hour and you're not going to be in an urban environment, you know, those kind of things are definitely a, a worthwhile invi uh, investment. And also they're able to hold, uh, you know, um, clothing that is appropriate, you know, should you, you know, up here in Colorado at this time of the year, Anytime you're getting a little bit higher in elevation, the weather can change in in minutes, right? And it can go from 40 degrees to 20 below. And and you need need that equipment, right? So, you know, when it comes to the shorts again, the, the same thing is, is possible with, with high-tech tights that keep you nice and warm. Uh, and then also uh, a, a running jacket or something like that in the Northern Hemisphere. Now the weather's starting to change. And... Uh, or was pretty heavily changed. You can see what I'm wearing. <laughs> it's pretty cold today. Um, that you, um, you know, you need layers, right? Because very, very tough thing with running and, and walking is, is you inside in a climate controlled environment, then you walk outside and it feels really, really cold. And then you wear one thick item and pretty soon you're too hot. But when you take it off, you're too cold, right? So the big trick is with, with running a tire is layers, 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 layers. You know, you need a shell on the outside if the weather is really bad. And then your next layer should be your warming layer. And then your next layer should be your wicking layer, right? So it keeps your body dry, keeps your body warm, and then stops the snow or the rain or the wind from getting in, all right? And that brings us to to gloves and gaiters, right? Uh uh, running gloves again, uh, feet don't often get really, really cold when you run like they would on the bike, right? Because they, they're working super hard and they're in those socks and in those shoes. And so your feet are normally okay in terms of temperature, but the ones that get really, really cold are your hands, all right? Your hands and your ears, your extremities get cold. And so again, uh, don't scrimp on running gloves. If you're going to be out there often in cold weather, Get yourself a high-quality pair of gloves. And a big trick with running gloves is don't have them be too tight because they purge the very blood that you want in your hands, warming your hands out. So you want a pair of running gloves that are quite loose. It's often quite comical when I'm running a session 
and these uh, tiny female athletes show up and they've got literally oven mitts on, right? So they've got lots of space around your hands. So you warm up the air around your hands, keep that air warm and, and your fingers stay nice and warm as well. But of course, they need to be able to wick. They need to be able to to uh, keep you know the snow and the wind and stuff off, off your hands. So those those are very important. And then also they must be quite portable, right? So if you do get hot, you've got to be able to stick them in a pocket or just stick them, you know, somewhere where, where you don't you don't lose them. Some of them have hooks on them and stuff like that. Just uh, uh, having a pair of gloves that that are highly highly suited to perspiring, keeping you warm, um, and keeping you reasonably dry from the cold uh, moisture from the outside. Yeah, and when and we were talking about winter versus summer, obviously you want to wear a good hat that's going to actually help to trap the heat a little bit more in the winter, which can help your hands as well, right? So I always like a good warm skull cap. And in fact, I, I have a spandex cap that I'll use when it's really cold and then put another knit cap over that, right? So that really helps my hands actually, I think more than anything. Um, and of course, in the summer, we're looking at uh, ventilation and being able to you utilize, um, uh, maybe have your head covered, but with a hat with a, some sort of meshing so you can have that breathability there. Yeah. Now that, you know, again, speaking from personal experience, I have to wear a hat all the time because I'm bald. So it's really easy for me to burn my scalp and, and, and burn, burn my face. But it's a fact that even though the technology for headwear in racing, uh, when you race or when you're running, uh, you know, for a longer period of time in high heat environments, that no hat is going to be able to keep you as cool as your head being uncovered, right? So uh, uh, it's important that if you do wear a hat and so on, that, you know, it has a, a very, very big holes in the mesh. And then sometimes what really helps is you get high end running caps that are impregnated with ceramics and they are able to reflect the heat, right? The other part of wearing a hat is, is if, if it's very bright outside, they can shield your eyes and, and, and reduce neck strain and so on from scrunching up your face and so on. So, so that's also something that you can look into. And then, you know, uh, sun damage can happen to your neck and your ears very easily as well. So sometimes you need to think about wearing that kind of headwear that that covers your neck or covers your ears if you're in a long event where your where your sunblock wears off right so it's just just something to consider so you know you might train in a hat and then if you're doing a hot race you might use sunblock or something like that so that you you can uh, cool better right uh, and your your head's the place your brain's the place which will determine you when you are so when your head's hot your whole body will be hot and your head will slow you down so if you can cool your head down, that that's a good thing to do. But also, very importantly, don't cool your neck down um, aside from cooling down the rest of your body. Because if the blood coming out of your body is really, really hot, but it's going through a cooling zone on your neck, and then your brain is thinking, oh, I'm fine, then you, you know, just things like... Uh, like damaging your liver and so on are important. So you need to be able to experience the heat so that you can uh, control your effort as well so you can keep yourself safe. Yeah, I think as far as the podcast, we, we are talking about how we can progress a runner from this phase. And this first set of subjects was, you know, just getting the right why, finding the right gear, and just knowing how to get started. But I think in the next podcast, what we're really going to start to focus on is what will that progression look like for you as a runner and you know how we're going to be able to start getting into our progressive overload and uh, building up in that mileage and uh, even really building up your habits to support uh, your overall goals and your plan. So that'll be in the next podcast. And uh, Finishing thoughts for me is talking to people about, of course, our Runform product. Uh, sometimes it's kind of like, well, I'm going to get try to get fit, and then I'll do I'll do the product because 
because then I'll really be ready, right? It reminds me as a strength coach, people would try to get fit before they come to see me, right? It's not, that's not the point. Um, and in run form, we're able to start to really work on the basics, work on the mechanics, get those three C's going. So what is uh, going to be compact through those connections for your cadence, that's all going to serve you for your progressions in your running plan. So the sooner you can get started with those, the better, right? So get started with a good program like RunForm. And uh, if you do have a history of injury, that's the best way to be able to know if you would be more likely to have those injuries come back again. So you might want to look at uh, investing in yourself a little bit with a program like ours, but also with a good physio if you've had some more uh, serious injuries in the past and you want to make sure that you're checking off those boxes and doing the right protocol for yourself. Thank you, Matt. That's great. My, my closing statement would be about ritual. People like ritual. People like consistency, right? And it takes a bit of time. But that's, that's a great why to have, which is to feel the joy and the satisfaction that a regular exercise program provides, right? It doesn't take that long to get to a point where you feel like I've got to go out the door because otherwise my day is not complete, right? So you want to get into that ritual. You want to habituate your, your, your exercise. You want to habituate in the beginning those walks and then eventually those runs. You want to really get that ritualized that's so important right it's a one of the best addictions in the world to have is a as an exercise addiction right and and to have to deal with the consequences of that rather than dealing with not having exercise american college of sports medicine said exercise is medicine so uh you know that that's where i'd like to end off beautiful all right well, guys, we'll talk next time, part two, about these progressions, and we look forward to talking to you then. Take care, everybody. As always, thanks for listening to the Run Form podcast. And as a reminder, we offer a totally free movement improvement assessment on our Pendola Project website. Here, you can get your own personalized protocol that will help your running today. So give that a try. Also, Bobby and I are experts on any question app where you can ask us, well, any question. So reach out to us directly there. Finally, if you learned anything new today, don't forget to share it with your compadres and leave us a quick review. That really helps us a lot. All the links you need are in the show notes below. Till next time, have a great run. Well, that was, that was awesome. Yeah.